This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell and I hope you're well this bank holiday Saturday morning. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours. This morning, we'll talk to Zoomé Germain about the latest achievements for her and Microgen Biotech at a Global Tech Entrepreneurs Awards. Anna O'Sullivan will talk to us about the long journey for her and the Butler Gallery, which culminates next Thursday with the launch of the new Six Million Gallery in the heart of Kilkenny City. We'll talk about the new back-to-work guidelines for people with asthma and their employers as the Asthma Society launches a new back-to-work checklist. And we'll hear from Maria Couchman about the Carlow Food Strategy. But first, to give us a broad view on some business stories of the last week, I'm joined on the line by Laura Slattery, uh, media correspondent of the Irish Times. Good morning, Laura. Morning, John. How are you? Now, August today, of course, is the 1st of August. And uh, back in the day, it used to be known as the silly season in the media because everyone went on holidays and politics closed down, etc. Funny August this year with COVID. It's the mother of all closed downs, really. Yeah, I mean, there's a real strange sense that I think in in business that I think, you know, a a lot of people actually, you know, are taking time off, um, but they kind of can't really ignore the the longer term (laughs) headaches that they have coming up now and the months ahead. There's a real sense that, um, you know, we've been through sort of, I I guess, perhaps uh, hopefully the peak of the crisis and where everybody was in emergency road but now there's a kind of a, a sort of almost uh, depressed feeling sinking in that uh, this isn't going to you know suddenly bounce back in September that this is going to be going on for months and months and months and many businesses sort of dependent on uh, subsidies and uh, coping with a trickle of business coming in which is almost worse maybe than no business but uh, it, it, you know because it's sort of it's a, a facsimile of, of, of what normal trading is and they're realising maybe that uh, this is going to be an incredibly tough uh, second half to 2020. Yeah, I mean, few people could have imagined back in March that we'd still be talking about uh, COVID-19 um, on the 1st of August and it's an incredibly dynamic situation. Like they say a week is a long time in politics but a week is a long time in COVID. Uh, like over a week ago, we were getting downhearted at a resurgence. Then the numbers were good. Then they were high up again. England and other European countries seem to be going well. Lockdown going backwards in the UK. So it's a very dynamic situation. Yeah, I think I think that that really has people worried because you know that what's happening in other countries. You know, the, the sort of the template is there that that can happen here too. And of course, we you know we have we has been a, a lot of cases here during the week, but. It's it, it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of a, a sort of a, a wake up call, I, I guess, um, for for um, businesses and for households. And maybe um, there is a feeling out there among some people that uh, you know we should take the time now to sort of uh, see your friends, go to restaurants, uh, go uh, you can go out a bit. But there's obviously a lot of fear as well. Nobody wants to actually contribute to um, a second wave or yeah. a resurgence. But um, it's it's a sense of opportunity perhaps because um, there's a fear there that yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the winters is going to be pretty miserable. Yeah, so take your time out now and get ready for a crunchy back-to-school season from the middle of August onwards. Listen, um, life goes on. A a recurring theme on the programme over the months has been um, the role of online in all our lives, in communicating, in businesses, trying to connect with their customers. But a big week, really, for Amazon, Apple, Google and Facebook and their futures. A a big hearing in uh, the Houses of Congress in the US. Tell us about that and what impact it may have. Yeah, I mean, this is like a six-hour um, grilling, um, I suppose you could call it, at, at, at Congress, uh, special hearing with the, the boss of Amazon, the boss of uh, Apple, uh, the boss of Google, and the boss of Facebook, who is uh, Mark Zuckerberg, of course. And he was probably relieved to have uh, the other three amigos there because he's been subject to his own um, grillings in recent times. But the, 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 sort of the, the new boy in, in town was really uh, Jeff. Uh, Bezos, uh, he, it was his first time at one of these hearings, and he's, you know, the richest man in the world. But by some distance, like he's had an incredible 2020, where he seems to be, you know, earning several billion each day thanks to owning, I think, there's 11 percent of, of Amazon, and of course, e-commerce has gone through the roof. Um, but this was a grilling about sort of various businesses practices going back through the years, where, you know, Amazon in its case, you know, stifling out. Um, competitors, uh, pretty much the same accusations being levelled at, at Facebook and um, it's kind of, uh, it was it was a very strange situation because they were all kind of giving their evidence via Zoom and at one point uh, nobody seemed to have any questions for Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it was quite incredible. I heard an extract of him where he was basically, uh, just to recap, Amazon sell their own mater- uh, their own goods on Amazon, but they also provide a platform for retailers to sell through Amazon. And Jeff Bezos was asked, could he guarantee that Amazon didn't access the information of other people who were using the platform to actually uh, sell their own stuff at lower prices? And he couldn't respond to that to confirm that that wasn't being done. No, and you, you get the feeling that that's going to come come back in, in perhaps a separate investigation. There's a lot of new information out there about how Amazon had handled uh, particular competitors, including one called Diapers.com. You know, if you, if you were in, in any way successful at, at shifting anything in great, in great volumes, Amazon took a keen interest in you and, and, and tried to, to mimic you. Uh, I mean, of course, that's what all businesses do, but uh, yeah, it's the use of data that's, that's really uh, of, of interest, I guess, to uh, U.S. politicians. And, and that's like, you know, there is these, these are huge, huge companies. Like the day after this, they all posted these stellar economic results. You know, they're getting bigger while everyone else is struggling. And um, there's a sense maybe that we, the U.S. Uh, you know took its eye off the ball on this, and that now they've got these absolutely uh, monster companies. Uh, you know, it's really unprecedented how large they are, and they're you know all our lives, and we use them uh, every day, um, and they really dominate. But whether that creates a sort of a healthy um, society, I think that's another uh, question. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing that I have been watching over the last couple of weeks was um, uh, a BBC series on the Murdoch dynasty, Ru- Rupert Murdoch, etc. And we, you and I, discussed it before we came on air. We were discussing it during the week, but like uh, that's developed as well. A big, a big um, development overnight, I think, in the Murdoch dynasty. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this almost feels like light relief compared to um, all the sort of other. Uh, Serious issues that are happening at the moment, um, the Murdoch uh, dynasty. But yeah, there was this three-part series on BBC, um, the rise of the Murdoch dynasty, and it was almost kind of trying to capture 
uh, some of the interest that is in the drama, HBO drama Succession, which is all about, you know, which one of this, this media mogul's kids is going to take over the business. And it, although the makers of that show have denied it about the Murdoch family, it, it bears a very close resemblance to all the uh, shenanigans that have been happening in that family over the last couple of decades. But last night, uh, the younger... Um, of Rupert Murdoch's uh, sons by his former wife, um, Anna, uh, James Murdoch. He, he resigned from uh, News Corp completely, uh, the board of News Corp, uh, and he cited uh, differences in editorial content and as well as uh, strategic decisions. But um, although, you know, uh, you know, Murdoch is, is very in bed with, with Trump, shall we say, or he's certainly um, benefited from the rise of Trump's popularity on, on his uh, Fox News network in, in the U.S. James Murdoch, the son, is a little bit more uh, of a Democrat, um, but there's also been a stated public uh, disagreement uh, on the issue of climate change. Murdoch calls himself uh, calls himself a climate change sceptic, um, but James Murdoch and his wife Catherine Murdoch, um, they're 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 pretty much you know she's an activist really, she's an environmentalist, and uh, he you know he believes in climate change and human. Uh, human responsibility for it. So there's a really big schism there, which has, has played out in in in, uh, in, in sort of dramatic um, scenes at the start of the year in Australia, of course, uh, where uh, Rupert Murdoch is from, um, with the raging uh, wildfires, and became a kind of critical issue for for Rupert Murdoch to be sort of employing some prominent deniers within the media empire there in Australia. Uh, wasn't necessarily seen as a great look when um, uh, vast portions of, of the bush were on fire. Yeah, and but it's very real, this editorial policy uh, as it relates to the Murdoch Empire because as that three-part series on the BBC pointed out, when he decides he likes somebody, he builds them up and when he decides he doesn't like somebody, he tears them down and it showed, um, it showed him, you know, withdrawing and bestowing favour on various British prime ministerial candidates and it was seen as key uh, that you know Rupert Murdoch who initially started off saying that Donald Trump was a bit of a joke but then he transferred on to saying Donald Trump is the man and Fox News played a big role in his election Yeah because I think when it came down to it uh, you know he preferred Trump to Clinton he didn't want any kind of uh and uh, he didn't want any kind of threat of regulation or any kind of crackdown. And and you've actually seen some of the tech people say something similar. You know, when, you know, Elizabeth Warren was campaigning to be the Democrat nominee this time around, Bill Gates was like, well, I don't know about that. You know, she wants to she wants to, to break up people and she wants to have high tax rates. So maybe, maybe you know, maybe I would <laughs> almost kind of implying that, that you know, they, that there was a price. Uh, for the support, and uh, the, if, if it wasn't paid, then you know they'd support Trump anyway. But yeah, you could draw a link, I suppose. I mean, uh, between uh, Murdoch's uh, support for uh, Brexit and Murdoch's uh, support for Trump, and the, the, the what is seen as the sort of poor handling of uh, of both uh, administrations in Westminster and in Washington um, of the current uh, pandemic, because. Uh, you know, they, they've been criticized for being arrogant and overconfident and uh, ignoring the science. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's perhaps uh, you could argue that um, some of Murdoch's outlets could have uh, 
taking a more responsible line <laughs> on those issues. Indeed we could, <laughs> but uh, let's watch this space over the next couple of months, uh, everything hotting up uh, with the US presidential election and lots of other issues as well. Laura, thanks very much. That was Laura Slattery, who is the media correspondent of the Irish Times, joining us on the line. It's just uh, 18 minutes exactly after nine o'clock. Now we're going to do something very unusual on the bottom line. Um, I've received a request in, believe it or not, which is most uh, unusual, to play something appropriate for Paddy, who's an accountant and listens to the show every Saturday without fail. So something uh, appropriate. I went uh, digging through the bottom line business music library and I came up with this. Do hope you enjoy it. It's fun to charter an accountant and sail the wide accountancy to find, explore the funds offshore and skirt the shoals of bankruptcy. It can be manly in insurance. We'll up your premiums semi-annually. It's all tax deductible, we're fairly incorruptible, we're sailing on the wide accountancy. Oh, this is fun, Mr. Cohen. Fetch me another exotic cheroot. The fantastic Monty Python there with a song called The Accountancy Shanty, a first for this particular series of The Bottom Line. Playing music, shock horror. If you've any suggestions for uh, songs with a business theme, do let us know. You can text us on 083 306 9696. That's the Darren Hayes Motors text line 083 306 9696. Good to see uh, during the week, or just yesterday, in fact, uh, last week we had Colm Hart, who is the technical director for Nearform, the uh, locally based app development company who developed the Ireland COVID Tracer app. They've also done the NI app, the COVID tracing app for the Northern Ireland government. And it's a world first that. Uh, the app in the North of Ireland track uh, links in with our app down here so good to see that being reported across the BBC and Channel 4 and so on but you we were talking to him last week on the programme coming up we're going to be talking to Zume Germain but don't go away we're just going to take a short break The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business www.omf.ie KCLR The heart of two counties Indeed we are Casey Lord, the heart of two counties. You're listening to The Bottom Line. It's just 22 minutes after nine o'clock. Now, Zoom Germain is the founder and CEO of Microgen Biotech. We spoke to Zoom on a rather crackly phone line, one of the perils of uh, these days broadcasting um, over the where lines seem to have 
this improved in quality we find um, but we spoke to Zume at the end of May when she'd completed I think it was a 3.5 million dollar uh, funding round for her company which is based in Carlos. Since then despite the lockdown a lot has happened for her company Microgen uh, and earlier this week I spoke with Zume to find out about the latest developments for her and the organisation. I started by asking her how uh, COVID has been treating her. I'm very good, Jan. Thank you very much. Um, well, the yeah, we are good. We're surviving, and uh, we pivot our business strategies, and uh, yeah, it's going well, and the family going well. We're all healthy and good. Just for people who didn't catch your last appearance uh, on the bottom line, and indeed, uh, the last time you were on, you were married somewhat by a bad phone line, uh, which prompted me to come over here in in person. Uh, just remind people what your company does and how it came about. My company is called Microgen Biotech and uh, we are a spin out of IT Carlo here. Our office is based here as well. So what we do is uh, we develop Biological, which is a microbiome based product to reduce heavy metal in food, for example, rice and wheat. And also they, when this product applying to the field, not only the product can reduce the heavy metal in the food, also can increase the crop yield to give a benefit to the farmers and at the same time to clean up soil pollution. So that's what we do here. This is a product and an application that is truly worldwide. And although started in Carlo, uh, you have started to spread your wings and you've spread around the world. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, we developed, actually this company is set up in 2013. And uh, from there, we got support, first of all, from IT Carlo, the County Enterprise Ireland, and also also the Enterprise Ireland as well for funding and uh, technology, everything support. So we developed the company and the te- technology for last seven years. And uh, we just actually to break into the sales in our first market in China and the product in the, in, in the market covered 20,000 acres. And then we have 2.5 million sales this year in the COVID-19 situation. Indeed. Now, you've achieved a huge amount and you've told us about your roots here in uh, Carlo IT. But just tell us a bit more about your own story. You came to Carlo, I think it was about 19 years ago. Um, Tell us about that and how you came to start your own company. You didn't see yourself as an entrepreneur back then. Absolutely. Um, I, I, well, I'm native Chinese and so graduated in China in, you know, biochemistry. And uh, then I came to Ireland in 2001 and come down to Carlo and I didn't know where I'm landing here but um, you know I found my passion doing studying IT Carlo and especially did my PhDs with my supervisor David Daly and David Ruan and in the area and in using the microbes for clean up soil pollution and also increase uh, crop and plants yield so that was really good experiences doing my PhD here and um, then after that I was very fortunate to get a job actually in Pfizer to develop biopharmaceutical jobs uh, uh, drugs for cancer and Alzheimer however by 2012 which you know is a big economic crisis and still very very bad at that time people losing job and etc so I decided I'm going to quit my resign from my job 
and I'm going to start a business. And everybody think I'm crazy, but uh, I just thought, okay, I'm um, 35 at that time. All my families were in entrepreneurs, my dad, my brothers, and and I just thought that's in my gene. You know, I, I want to do something. I want to do something that I can see the end and make an impact. So I decided to quit my job and starting the company. And initially, uh, this is a journey. Just I don't know what is like PNLs and what is business model. I know nothing about business and know nothing about how to register a company name. But yeah, but those, those journeys bring me, you know, like up to now. It's all. It's about learning. It's about um, uh, be um, uh, resilience and be strong and tackle your problem and and you know get where you are. And uh, you speak about how you started off just seven years ago um, with that vision for your company and for starting your own business. And um, it's fair to say that you've just um, been reached the shortlist uh, in the global startup competition, which is known as the Extreme Tech Challenge. And you were shortlisted as one of the top seven female founders in the world. Quite an achievement, that. Tell us about the Extreme Tech Challenge and what that involved. Okay, so the Extreme Tech Challenge, that is global largest startup uh, um, competition. So their goals is to selecting tech for good, from global so this one so when we made the application you know basically our company was selected from global eight you know from 80 countries from uh, two two thousand four hundred applications you know first step we were selected as the top 52 so what they did they each continent they select the best two or three and eventually get the top 52 to go to semi-finalist and then we gone through uh, two three weeks of a camp and then you go you know we have all these mentors like Tim Dripper we have a Jerry Young who is the founder of Yahoo it's really really good experiences from there learning even more globally and after that we have the uh, semi-final which is have seven categories one is one is the most impactful most competitive is ag tech food and water uh, category so we are very fortunate and we did good so we win the this category and the then on the 15th of July, that's the final global. So at that global final, and we won the global female um, entrepreneur uh, award as well. So we, got, we scraped two awards from this um, global biggest competition, and um, it's make a massive momentum and impact, you know, for our company standing as the top one company representing in the ag tech and the food and doing good for the world and for every inch of the soil. It sounds a fantastic achievement both for uh, your company and for yourself. You, you kind of indicated that it's, it's um, a very important turning point perhaps. You must have made fantastic uh, contacts out of that. How will you be building on that success? This is very good. Thank you for bringing it out, John. Um, so when we actually when I actually make the application application of here so you know even people want you know sometime kind of drag into getting awards getting awards but not thinking what that rewards mean to lead your business to go lead your context that help the business to grow to 
next stage, either investment or either it's a market or either it's a recognizational trust. So uh, before I make the application, put the, you know, it's about four weeks effort into it. So I make very clear um, what's the strategy, what's the goals here. So we knew we might, you know, attracting some of the global biggest investors and most reputable, you know, like a celebrity uh, um uh, investors in this area, and also to lead um, what like, to lead the world know there is, is a company to solve this massive problem. So the problem now in the world is 2.56 billion people taken uh, two times more toxic arsenic and academium in the, our body. And there's a 3 billion acres of the soil contaminated with heavy metal. So we thought using this global platform will let the world, relevant organizations and customers, every people know there's a solution to help all every, every one of us to give us healthy food and also clean up the soil at the same time for a sustainable uh, environment. And uh, yeah, so that was the plan to join in this. And then, uh, you know, what what the consequences here now? We are winning all of this. And last week, we brought to speak in the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization to tell the um, how our product and you know how good innovation and how that impact for the global food safety and the soil health and farmers yield. And we also get like um, interest from Africa as well. So that's a really big uh, impact. And also that influence our market, you know, as well. We got a huge market pooling because of the, the speaking in the United Nations and the winning. And the second, we actually got interest and we nearly finalized. So we have a two of the judges, final judges, in the company. Fantastic. That's a great uh, achievement. You, the slogan of your company is healthy soil, healthy people and happy farmers. I think that sums it up um, very well. What about the, the doing business and expanding a global global company from Carlo in the age of COVID? You mentioned the awards were on the 15th of July back 12 months ago. I'm sure you would have been jetting off to some exotic location. I'm sure now this was all done on Zoom. What impact is COVID and the new world we're living in going to have on your future plans? Yeah, so um, there, there is some significant impact of the COVID. So at this moment in Carlo here, we have all our research Based, based on here. And we did have a problem within last um, three, four months since we locked down. Our research scientists cannot go into the lab to get our, you know, the pipelines product developed and also to, uh, you know, we you have a client that we co-developing product for the for the USA. So basically we co-develop this product to reduce arsenic in rice for USA market. So that's all hold back. And second, uh, John, last time I was talking to you, we, we finished to the Series A 3.8 mini. So there's a good chunk of money sitting in the bank. And then we, our plan with that was to immediately to hiring 10 to 20 um, PhD or master level scientists to developing the platform technology further and then further develop another five to six product in, in, in here. And that's all hold down for a couple of months because we can't really do the research in the lab. And, and a third, 
for last uh, four years, and we have made a big impact in China market. So we have our product developed. We traveled 200 sites in China, and our product can reduce 50% of uh, the heavy metal and increase 10% yield, and also clean the soil. So we registered our product early this year. And uh, within two months, locking down in China, and uh, we still achieved through 2.5 million of sales. Like, like I said, so um, uh, and then we we thought after you know after the um, the the Series A fund raised, and our plan was to enroll this momentum globally, do the trials and do the testing validation in Europe and also in US. So the COVID uh, situation now to actually hold, hold back on these activities. So this is all quite significant for us developing the global market. But at the same time, we didn't stop. So we make huge amount of uh, you know, achievement within from March to now because you know as a startup, you're just very agile, very fast and moving and you don't take any difficulties or difficulties. You turn those, also, any crisis to opportunity. So uh, what we did is we adjust our, our scientists from here to assist uh, our Chinese team to make sure they are c consistently to get samples and further enhance the product development and also to insist all the sales and, and the global impact. So we, we achieved um, maybe more even then it's not this situation. Finally, um we hear a lot about the glass ceiling and it's a very uh, big issue, women in business and advancing. You're actually now a, a global role model, having been uh, recognised as, as the, the best global female founder by this extremely prestigious uh, award scheme. What advice would you give to women, you know, like yourself in Kilkenny or Carlo, who have an idea but think, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I'd like to give it a try? This is very good. <laughs> I'm probably a little bit different from uh, you know other women advocates in this area. So I would definitely just say, do not, well, that's me anyway. So I like to, if that's influence others, that'd be good. Um, I don't put any stamps on my mind. I'm female or I'm a male entrepreneur. So, so just if you have a fire, have a passion inside of you, just go for it and be brave. And if you go to present to any of the investors and you don't even realize whether they are men or female, just women, put that away. You are there, you're strong, you have the idea, you're passionate about it and uh, you can do it. There's no limitations and just be brave and follow your gut and go for it. And never think about as a woman or as girls or ladies, you you know, we are, our brains are not good for science or for math. We are brilliant. We can do as much as women man can do and also we can care about our family. So definitely just go for it, brave and don't let gender to pull any 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 of you back. The fantastic Zoo May Germain, who is the Extreme Tech Challenge Global Female Entrepreneur, uh, if you don't mind, and her company Microgen, based in Carlo, uh, won the award for the best ag tech product. Uh, hopefully we'll have uh, Zume back on the show again before too long. Lots more interesting people to talk to. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR. Proud to be local. 
The bottom line on Casey Lord John Purcell with you until 10. It's just 20 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Now, whether it's dining out, selecting fresh produce at the farmer's market or choosing a locally produced craft beer, uh, eating and drinking is a pastime enjoyed by so many. And I was very interested when I spotted the recently published Carlow Food and Drinks strategy, which was developed by Carlow County Council and its local enterprise office. Now, during the week, I spoke with Maria Couchman, who's the Economic Development Officer with Carlow Local Enterprise Office. Uh, I wanted to find out more about the strategy. And I started by asking Maria, how did the Carlow Food and Drinks strategy come about? The Carlo Food and Drink Strategy has been developed in order to uh, promote, I suppose, give a working document and give a good direction in terms of how best we can promote Carlo and the food and drink producers, manufacturers, and also the people that sell and consume uh, food and drink that comes from Carlo. So what we did was we engaged with an agency to research the food and drink landscape, if you like, um, in the Carlo region to look at what things are doing really, really well and what things are, what areas could we actually do a little bit better on in terms of promoting food and drink for Carlo over the next five years. So we spoke with different um, interested parties in the food and drink, be they from uh, farmers markets, be they producers, be they uh, pub owners or restaurant owners, and really got an understanding in terms of what was going well for them and actually what areas did they feel uh, we could help with in terms of promoting food and drink within Carlo. Um, and quite a few well-known names already in the food and drink space. One thinks of O'Hara's, for example. Um, Seamus nominated for a, a very prestigious entrepreneur award. So a, a good solid base to build on. What, what about the future? Is it bright? Oh, the future for food and drink is absolutely, it really is uh, very, very bright. And I think I moved to Carlo, uh, I think, two or three years ago. And one of the things that's really struck me about the county is that it's very much a, a county of discoveries. So, you know, we're looking at um, so many different positive food producers themselves. Um, we've got wonderful um, entities like Malone's Fruit Farm that um, uh, produce wonderful fruit. We've got um, the Chocolate Garden that does really fun uh, chocolate gifts uh, throughout the year. Um, and there are also a number of different experiences it's not just all about the food producers, but it's also about the experiences that you can enjoy that are related to food and drink. So you could go to the Black Stairs Eco Trails and do some foraging uh, and do a workshop around what you found and maybe cook up some of the produce there. Um, or you could go and um, have some different experiences, um, you know, on farms throughout the country. So, um, you know, Web Social Farm are doing some brilliant, um, doing some brilliant experiences on their farm. So really in terms of the, the food and drink experience, it's not even just about the producers, but it's also around the experiences that are there uh, that you can enjoy when you come to Carlo. So very solid base but this uh, report and this strategy is about the future. There are five different pillars I suppose that will underpin the development of the industry into the future. Tell us about those. Absolutely. So the strategy itself um, has got five pillars as you mentioned. Um, one of the key ones I suppose is around the area of looking at uh, food and drink from a business perspective and we are proposing that we will develop a number of different business supports to be, uh, business training, business networking uh, for companies in the Carlo region and these will be developed on a tiered basis so we will have specific training and, and supports for companies that are starting up, we'll also have supports for companies that are in a growth or a scaling phase and we'll have supports and, and, and um, services for companies who are actually established and have been well established. So the whole idea about it is, um, for that particular pillar is that we look at and support and develop uh, businesses so that they are sustainable into the future. Um, we've also, as I've touched on before with the 
with, say, the visitor experiences. We're also going to pursue that and develop uh, visitor experiences in Carlo. Um, we've got uh, a number of different um, experiences that are there available already, but we've also got a service here where uh, a lady called Julie O'Brien a lady called Julie O'Brien uh, will go on to different enterprises at different farms who've got an idea about a farm or, or, a, or a food and drink um, experience and she will work with them to map out what that experience looks like um, she look at it very much from a commercial perspective and she look at things like what potential revenue stream could come in so the idea behind that is that we then have a cohort of these experiences that can be developed into food trails that can be used for marketing and that can really d develop and enhance the, the tourism and the agri-tourism experience in Carlo. That's very important because food isn't just really about making a product, putting it on a shelf, someone buying it and eating it. The whole experience thing you've talked about is critical to it now and, and a big part of tourism. Oh, absolutely. Big part of tourism. And I think that's one of the areas that, you know, it has been very badly hit, I suppose, most recently. And it's one of the areas that we, would, we are going to work on in terms of promoting and producing. Um, and it also, you know, people are very interested in the backstory. They're interested in the suppliers behind the story. They're interested in how these products are produced. And they're also interested in getting engaged with um, the products themselves and, and learning themselves. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity within the tourism, the agritourism um, side of things, you know, because Carla really is a wonderful destination. And as I said, I think it's really such a of discoveries and this really fits in with, with that side of things. I get the sense from reading the report that uh, the involvement of people is uh, critical and that you're creating a stakeholder forum and a steering group and subgroup so it's very, I, I would imagine it's going to be an evolving strategy. Absolutely, and I think any any plan that that, that sort of uh, covers five years, it does need to be iterative. Um, at the same time, I think those fundamental five pillars, one of which is this development of a, of a food forum, is is absolutely critical to the success of it, and it's something that we're very excited about. So the food forum itself will be um, structured to give a voice to stakeholders, so to people that are very much involved in the food and drink industry across a number of different platforms, and for them to be able to talk to us and to help us a deliver the the strategy, but also b to influence the actual specifics of it so that it works for them and that it works for the food and drink strategy as a whole for County Carlo. So what next with the strategy published in mid-July? Um, what, what are the first steps towards uh, realising it and bring it, bringing it to fruition? Uh, well, the first steps in essence, I know that well, the, the fifth pillar of the strategy is actually a regional, um, it's actually a regional partnership piece as well, so that, that, that's very important to mention that. So, but the next steps in terms of the strategy is actually looking at um, actually getting, say, the structure of the, of the forum together, which again, we'll be we're working out over the next month or two and to invite um, relevant people onto that forum so that we do have their, their voice and their influence. We'll be looking at things like um, the narrative and, and, and the story around what is food and drink, what does it mean in County Carla, but actually developing a narrative or a story that can be used then to market this out to um, to it, to it uh, the marketplace. Um, and also we'll be doing very practical rollouts of a one-stop food and drink uh, website for Carla. So anything to do with food and drink, be it food festivals, be it training for suppliers, be it, um, you know, information around the farmer's market, you know, all that type of piece. We're going to pull that together so that it is literally a one-stop shop, be it for, um, that's, that has information that's relevant, be it for local people or for visitors to the county. So within the food and drink strategy document itself, we've actually stepped out these five pillars and there's a number of different steps across the next five years for all of them. So really that's uh, my challenge, I guess, for the next uh, coming months to actually get to, to roll all of these out and, and to put a structure about, um, on them. And I'm very, very excited to do that. 
Maria Couchman there telling us about the Carlo food and drink strategy for the next five years. We'll be following that. Now, coming up next, we're going to be talking to Anna O'Sullivan from the Butler Gallery in Kilkenny about their fantastic new uh, location in the heart of Kilkenny City. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. Tired of cooking? Don't know if you'll have enough. Why not rely on Doyle's Royal Oak? Now catering for private and corporate occasions, communions, confirmations, birthday parties and all in between. Great food, great service, but now at your home. Doyle's award-winning deli at the Royal Oak. Now, uh, the Butler Gallery in Kilkenny was established in 1943 and since the 1970s, I think it was, it's been located in the basement of Kilkenny Castle. Now, in the early 2000s, plans were unveiled for an ambitious independent location for the gallery, which boasts an impressive collection of 19th and 20th century Irish art and which year in, year out hosts exhibitions of contemporary Irish international art of the absolute highest standard. And finally, after years of planning, fundraising and many setbacks, it must be said, the latest being the delay to its official opening in March caused by the COVID pandemic, the gallery is set to open next Thursday. It's located in the beautifully restored Evans' home, an architectural gem in the heart of Kilkenny City, which for years was hidden behind high walls, which are now gone, and it's beautiful location. Yesterday, I was delighted to visit the gallery for a sneak preview and I spoke to gallery director Anna O'Sullivan, over the la- who over the last 17 years has guided the project from dream uh, and some would have said pipe dream to actually a reality and I started by asking her what she'd learned about business and project management along the way. We uh, we have, uh, you know, a serious business plan. We've also because of part of our capital funders being Falcha Ireland and, and the Department of Arts, they're very much looking to us to see that we have a have a strong plan in place and that we are working on earned income be it through our shop our cafe our our events um, there are things that we can now we have a building of our own that we're master of our own domain we'll be able to fashion events here and do do things that um, uh, will pr- provide opportunities for businesses we have a, a really good patron loan scheme we have um, corporate membership different levels of membership that can be explored on our, our website which is butlergallery.ie uh, so yeah I've learned a lot about um, we're, we've always been very prudent we don't spend more than we have we, we've uh, we've had to learn to work on our membership program to build um, buy-in and and uh, attract grant grants and individual um, um, donations and whatnot so there, there's lots of different levels there's the public money, there's the private money, uh, there's the business community that we've reached out to, and a lot of them are really see the value of being connected to the gallery and to what they can get out of it because they're we're helping to create to 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 uh, add to Kilkenny Inc. You know, make it a uh, uh, help to add this to, to make Kilkenny even better than it is. We, we're, we're we're so spoiled for riches here in Kilkenny because so much on offer. But hopefully, uh, the Butler Gallery is going to add even more now to that as a venue. As as a, as a place to come and enjoy art and experience workshops and um, uh, and explore this wonderful building, which has now been brought back to life, which is, is so rewarding. 
What can you say about resilience? Because I, as following this project over the last 15 years, have, have known that there have been times when the odds seemed stacked against an official opening in a, a six million project next Thursday. Talk to me a bit about resilience and what you've needed to keep going through it all. I think just having a vision for it. You know, the, the, the founders of the gallery always wanted to have um, uh, a, a space that uh, that Kilkenny could deserve and um, uh, because this collection needed a home we there, there was a real impetus to make it happen one way or the other and yes there's been loads there's been years of two steps forward two steps one step back I've got a timeline that would you know knock your socks off from 2004 up to the present day and we've gone through three county managers several you know three cultural ministers we've gone through the rounds I just think I suppose tenacity by the team here and our board of directors different board of directors who've all been passionate about making it happen and wanting to make it a reality um, I think that uh, uh, it's important for us to have bring that vision to light and you know there's been so many setbacks you've just had to take them along the way and then you know we were supposed to open in March and then you know a pandemic comes along and adds to the delay. So we've been through delays in the past and you take the pandemic as it comes as well and you just say, okay, there's another bit of a delay. We'll get there in time. We'll have the space that will be, be great for, for Kilkenny and that's, I think, what we have now today is that we're opening to the public and I hope everyone will come and check it out, even out of curiosity, just to see. Some people will love things and hate things and that's fine. Visual art is always, and the arts and culture are always about about prizing opinions out of people and having conversations and liking and not liking and that's that's always good I don't see that as a bad thing I think that's a really good healthy thing for for people to engage in the arts the irrepressible Anna O'Sullivan there of the Butler Gallery and best of luck on their opening I had a much longer chat with Anna um, and we'll be putting that out online during the week um, but uh, apologies for the drill going on in the background because some finishing touches being applied to the gallery there now a massive 380,000 people in this country live with asthma the condition which affects the respiratory system and during the week uh, I spoke to Deirdre Lennon of the Irish Asthma Society about uh, a back to work uh, checklist that they've published for people with asthma. I started by asking her about the challenges people with li- people living with asthma face when returning to work. Certainly, um, for the last couple of months, obviously everybody's been at home. They've been able to mind themselves. They've been able to take extra care. But as we now go into a different phase where people have to go back to work, they're a little bit more, or should I say, a lot more anxious about stepping out into the, the big world um, and what that effect might have on their asthma. So. We've put together a checklist um, that we've gone along with, with our, our company, AstraZeneca, uh, who's supporting our work here in producing the employer checklist and the employee checklist as the things that people should look out for um, and be aware of as they go into the next phase of going back into the office. Yeah, now obviously people with asthma are particularly vulnerable and nervous in relation uh, to the whole COVID-19 virus, which is largely a respiratory uh, issue for many people. Um, Tell us what, in your view, employers should be familiarising themselves with or what they should do for people who who may be uh, living with asthma. Absolutely, they're all very vulnerable at the moment, but the employer is there to, to support their staff all of the way. So there are a couple of things. Most of the stuff can be found on the website and also on the checklist. But the main things are 
um, for um, employees to make sure that they've um, arranged that there's enough social distancing for staff coming into the office. Possibly um, some hubs where it's not all full staff in at any one time. To provide hand sanitizers and sufficient hand washing facilities for the staff. To limit the use of their air conditioning, which can um, contribute to the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And the employers absolutely must have a solid plan in place and react very quickly when dealing with a suspected case of COVID-19 in the workplace, should that arise. Now, the, the, the checklist talks about a workplace being asthma-friendly. Are there particular things in addition to those COVID measures um, that people should think about? What about having flowers around the workplace and so on? Can that trigger people to pollen and so on? Well, pollen would be more to do with the hay fever, you know, dust. There's lots of different triggers that you would have for asthma. But most companies employ a clean desk policy where you wouldn't have flowers, etc. sitting on your desk. Um, and places would be kept clean at all times. So the minimal stuff would be sitting on your desk, but also to making sure that, you know, when you finish using your phone or you've been using the keyboards, that they would be cleaned on a regular basis. So your, your hands, of course, would be touching them automatically and you would put them to your face, but obviously people have been guided to keep their hands away from their face. But as you're stepping into different areas within the office, be mindful of what is around you. Yeah, so if an employee is coming uh, back to work, um, what kind of conversation should an employer have with a person who, who lives with asthma or suffers from asthma? I would hope that an employee has an open relationship with their employer um, and that the employer is aware that somebody has an underlying respiratory condition. But if they're not, or they've been embarrassed or they just didn't want to say or they've only been recently diagnosed, they should be having a conversation either with their line manager or HR or the overall general manager to say, I have this, um, I want to know, you know, to make sure that I'm going to be safe coming into work. And there's a couple of things that I'd like to see happening when I do come back into the, the workplace. But as the employee going back, they have a duty of care to themselves as well. So we know that going on public transport, people are required to wear masks. Um, and we also know that it's a lot of people haven't gone back using public transport. So if people can either walk or drive to their offices, um, and also then to make sure that um, they, if they can, to use the public transport at off-peak time. So maybe speak to their employer if they can stagger working times, you know, early start, late early finish, that type of thing. may not always be possible depending on the type of business um, that they work for. But these are all the conversations, an open conversation, and I'm sure an employer would welcome. Yeah. Deirdre Lennon there of the Irish Asthma Society talking to us about back-to-work guidelines uh, for people suffering with asthma. That's all we've got time for this week on the show. I'd thank, like to thank all our guests, Laura Slattery, Zume Germain, Maria Couchman, Anna O'Sullivan and Deirdre Lennon. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced. That's all we've got time for this morning on The Bottom Line. Uh, if you'd like to listen back, you can do so on our app, which you will find on the App Store, Spotify or anywhere you do your podcast listening. I do hope you have a good August Bank holiday weekend. I look forward to talking to you next week again just after nine. If you'd like to contact the programme, you can email the bottom line at kclr96fm.com. Let's cross over to the newsroom. It's just 10 o'clock. This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie